Hello and welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, that hidden place where you walk into the dark and clouded unknown. I am your guide, Gary, here to tell you about cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. Today, Goldianne joins us as my wife and co-host. Hello, Goldianne. Hi, Gary. I'm so happy I could be here today. Well, we had to fit it in within your immensely busy schedule. Oh, right. <laughs> but how are you doing otherwise? I'm good. Okay. Well, things should have start slowing down for us now that the spooky season is over, although spooky season is never over. <laughs> With that being said, uh, actually, I got great news after doing our ghost stories show at Diane's Tea House. They've invited us back, Goldianne. Really? Yeah. That's on, amazing. On December 15th, we will be putting on another ghost story show about Christmas holidays. Ooh. So for those of you who like the Yuletide ghost stories, uh, she's going to be sponsoring another dinner and show on December 15th. I will be posting information about that in our show notes. I guess Christmas is pretty scary. Christmas isn't scary. The scary part is when you get the bill in January. Exactly. But first, a word from our sponsor. Welcome back. Now, Goldie Ann, since I did have so much more spare time, I was looking through the news, and did you hear that Bigfoot finally got married? Really? That's cool. I guess he found his soulmate. <laughs> Oh my God, that took me a minute. Jesus. It didn't take you a minute. It was only a few seconds. Time flies when you're having fun. Today's story involves a creature that has chased people and even attacked automobiles located in a park. These events may be upsetting to some of our listeners. We are storytellers who would like to spin tales about cryptids, ghosts, and monsters. We don't intend to scare you on purpose. Well, maybe just a little. Listener discretion is always advised. During the Milray sightings, there were multiple articles published in the local newspapers, which helped me to create a complete story about today's subject. I will try to refer to these newspapers as we go on, but much of the information about the Milray's monster is kind of tied up in urban legends. And so we begin. Dun, dun, dun. It kind of will be like that. Because in the 1950s, locals referred to the area of the Millrays Park as Death Valley. This was due to it being swampy, waterlogged, and infested with rats. With extensive renovations in 1963, the neighborhood was transformed into a park and was a green haven of winding rivers and two small lakes. It had newly planted trees that were suitable for picnics and leisurely walks. By 1974, however, maybe was a tranquil oasis, but it became infamous for something entirely different. Reports of a violent, scaly, hairy, green monster lurked in the shadows of the woods. A green Bigfoot? That's weird. Based on some descriptions, yes. Okay. It was November 1st, 1974, 
when you were just a babe. I was. I was only two years old. Wow. What, what, what was it? November 1st. Oh, no, I wasn't even two years old yet. Oh, and you were just waddling around? Mm-hmm. Wow. Still am. <laughs> well, this was a day that would go down in history when Columbus, Indiana Police Department began receiving numerous accounts from frightened witnesses. Two distinct sets of individuals claimed that they had seen a giant two-legged creature with greenish skin lurking around the waters of Millrays Park in Indiana. Within days, this would spark one of the most infamous monster hunts in the United States. So join us today as we explore within the mists of Indiana to discuss the Mill Race Monster. Chapter 1 The Moss Covered Beast At approximately 3 p.m. on November 1st of 1974, four teenagers, their names withheld due to their age, gathered at Mill Race Park. They were looking for a place that was free of adults. An old brick bridge leading into the park's meadow was a popular spot among these young adults and offered the perfect place for conversations free from adult supervision. <laughs> conversations. This was the 70s, so yeah, there's possible that there was more going on, but I have no proof of that. These four girls wandered towards the bridge, chatting excitedly about their Halloween experiences the night before. The sun was setting, and a cool breeze blew across them near the river's edge. They had almost reached the boat ramp when one of them stopped. She looked closer at the woods and pointed. Look, she exclaimed, there's something between those two trees. The area she was pointing to was a small clearing just off the path they were on. In it, sat a strange object nestled between a tall maple and an ancient elm tree. The thing was shadowy in the size and shape of a man. In its crouching position, it might have been human, except for its furry body. The thing's head was low to the ground as if watching the four girls. They saw its green-tinged body and long, powerful arms with long fingers and claws that reached out to the dirt, dragging it to create small scratches. The girls were trembling with fear as they raced out of the park, frantically yelling for help. Panting and disheveled, they burst into the local police station to report the creature. The officers instead rolled their eyes and dismissed them as young kids trying to pull off a Halloween prank. Of course. Like all adults do. Oh God, I'm an adult now. Yes, you are. So now when the kids come to you, you're the one that has to say that they were just seeing things. Oh, I wouldn't. I'd go help them look for it. I don't think the girls wanted to look for it. They wanted the police to look for it. And in fact, they begged the police to investigate further. But the officers refused and sent the girls away with no further questioning. Rude. This left the girls feeling frustrated and powerless, terrified to return to the Millrays Park. Later that evening, 
two women pulled up in Milray's Park after grabbing some takeout food. They were completely unaware of the girls' earlier experience and the danger they were now in. Instead, they decided to park their car in a secluded spot where they could eat their meal and catch up with each other's gossip. Neither of them had any idea that they were soon to experience a harrowing confrontation with something so terrible their minds could not comprehend it. In fact, years afterwards, Tyra Catalina was the only one who ever stepped forward to tell her version of the story of that terrible event. According to her, the two women were gazing into the shadowy trees of the park, when at that moment, their conversation and pleasant evening mutated into something straight out of an old-school drive-in movie. Tyra recalled the first time she saw the horrible creature in the park. Quote, Out of from the woods comes this thing. It had to be at least seven feet tall, if not taller. It was way taller than a normal man. The two girls in the car went from panicked to terrified as the predicament even worsened. They realized they were trapped within the car while the monster left the tree line to race straight at them at an incredible speed. Frightened, they watched as the hulking, grotesque monster then began to pound on their windshield and the hood of their car with an arm much like a club. Its fingers scraped at the glass and the paint. Its mouth opened in a roar that filled the car. The girls screamed until their throats hurt, seeing nothing but death ahead of them. The driver's hand trembled and she struggled to get the ignition key in. With each failed attempt, her leg quivered harder and harder until it shook the entire car with a loud rattling sound. The passengers exchanged worried glances, feeling the mounting urgency to flee. Tyra peered through her side window. The monster's face was twisted with rage, its eyes wild and unfocused, mucus and saliva dripping from its lips Rose. as it roared and lunged towards her. The monster's face had a greenish tinge and was covered in slime. Its eyes were wild and unfocused with sharp pointed fangs trying to bite through the glass. Its hand pounded on the windshield like a club and its open mouth roared. The women were terrified and she watched it trying to rip the door off the car. The car driver's hand shook, but she finally was able to turn the key in the ignition and the engine roared to life. She hit the gas and the car lurched forward away from the creature. They sped away from the grotesque monster, still drool dripping from its fangs and its sickly huge skin. The experience was so nightmarish for them that all they wanted to do was escape, thankful to having survived such a terrifying ordeal. Both women, who had not heard the story from the teenage girls earlier that day, raced off to the same police station. With headlights cutting through the darkness, they sped towards it and report their sighting. All they could think of was getting to the authorities and reporting what they had seen. 
The public had to be warned. Tyra said the testimonies did not convince the police any more than the teenagers did. Instead, it seemed almost if they were making jokes about it. They would make snide comments and accusations such as, Oh, a monster? Really? Have you been drinking? Tyra, angry, responded, No, it's real. It's out there. You've got to go down there. It's out there and it's going to get somebody. The doubtful officers may have been unconvinced that a real monster was lurking in Mill Ray's park, but their investigation of the car kind of changed their minds. There was destruction to the car and a pungent odor surrounded it that could not be denied. The hood had deep, jagged gashes and along the doors were scratches that had to cut through metal. The window was chipped along the edges as if large sharp teeth had gnawed on it trying to tear through. The car even had a putrid, sickening smell that filled the air around it. It was described as a mix of rotting flesh and decay, gross, as if something had been left out in the sun to rot away. This convinced the police enough that they trudged reluctantly through the deserted park, eyes darting from one corner to the next. They tramped along the damp grass and shined their flashlights into every tree's corner. As the sun rose the next day, it became evident that nothing remained to be analyzed. They were hoping against hope that there would be no further signs of disturbance and that whatever commotion had taken place within the park was nothing more than a false alarm. They would find out, though, that there would be much more to the story. The Mill Race Monster is usually lumped in with other sightings of hairy hominids such as Bigfoot, but this particular cryptid has been reported to have scales and slimy features. This could be because it spends most of its time in the rivers and the lakes, and the teenagers who initially spotted it saw a figure that was both grimy and covered in moss. This is similar to a description of Florida's mysterious moss man, another Bigfoot creature. Yet, those two creatures are only similar on a superficial level, of both being covered in mud and the river moss. Okay, so I've actually never heard of that one. The Moss Man? Yeah. Heard well, Skunk Ape, but never the Moss Man. Well, then I will have to do an episode on it just for you. Get you caught up. That's right. I'll live here, damn it. <laughs> well, the thoughts of this being a lizard man crossed many of the minds, similar to the creature believed to be lurking in South Carolina's scape or swamp, which we did do an episode on. Mm-hmm. However, due to the reports of hair on this figure, along with none of the witnesses saying it looked like a reptile, we can kind of rule out that this was a lizard man. When determining where to categorize this creature, the story of the Milray's monster is comparable to other mysterious aquatic beasts, such as the famous green-clawed beast, the perplexing Charles Mill Lake monster, and the unexplainable Octoman all of which we will have to have on future episodes. 
Rumors circulate that these amphibious beings and the mill race monster inhabit rivers and freshwater lakes. Chapter 2 From the Stars Oh, gotta be from the stars. So we go from Bigfoot to Alien. And it was a chill November 2nd morning when citizens awoke to an unexpected shock. The Republic newspaper had printed a story about the strange creatures spotted in the local park and a creature that they called the monster. The four-paragraph article described the seven-foot beast with green skin, long claws, and an aggressive nature. The blink-and-you-miss-it story began to buzz around town like a wildfire. Some thought it was a sign of impending doom, while others were overjoyed at the possibility of a supernatural creature living in their midst. Regardless of their perspective, the citizens of Columbus all felt one thing in common. They were intrigued and they wanted to know more. The newspapers obliged. So then on the November 6th edition of the Republic, they brought forth a newfound fear with a sensational headline that detailed another sighting of the monster. This time, it was a pair of young men who had been out exploring near the covered bridge around 4 p.m., and they found the thing peeking out from behind some trees. Their description matched the previous reports given to the police department. In fact, they were so fascinated by their discovery, the two decided to go home and return later at night armed with binoculars and flashlights. After they arrived in the park at almost midnight, they moved closer to get a better look. And just in time, they saw the creature's bloodshot eyes widen and it let loose with an otherworldly roar before galloping towards them and chased them out of the park. They got a little bit more than they were bargaining for. This is where one of the oddest ideas proposed to explain this creature's origins. It seems UFOs had been seen in Indiana and they had, might have left the monster behind. According to the two men who had seen the creature, that was their theory. Because back then, there was an abundance of accounts of unidentified flying objects in the skies of Indiana and its neighboring states. With so many objects in the night sky, it was only plausible that this was a creature from beyond the stars. The unnamed witness hypothesized that maybe the unidentified flying objects had dropped this creature on Earth in early autumn. If these two men were right, the Millrace monster was an extraterrestrial creature that actually got lost and was trying to find a path back to its home amongst the stars? Or worse, was this a creature that was abandoned on our world on purpose due to its aggressive behavior? Oh dear. And according to the article from November 6th, it was an interesting idea, but one that seemed very far-fetched to most. You know, someone's pet who gets a little bit rowdy and they decide to drop it off. Aliens are such jerks. <laughs> Exciting, but there was never any direct connection between this creature or any UFO sightings in Columbus, Indiana. Chapter 3. Cats in a Tree. Meow. 
The report of the mysterious creature's fourth appearance was published on November 9, 1974, and featured in the Indianapolis Star, which had a larger readership than the other papers. According to their article, two local dog catchers, 20-year-old Rick Duckworth and 19-year-old John Brown, had been examining ways to rescue cats from trees in a public park. And no, I did not make up those names, and no, I did not make up that they were actually researching how to rescue cats from a tree in a park. <laughs> I, it takes them all. I just don't know what they were doing back in 1974. But these two were in the park at that time. And as they discussed different ways to rescue cats, their conversation was interrupted by a deep, guttural growl. <laughs> The two boys quickly spun around to see an enormous creature standing about 200 feet away, its shaggy form staring straight at the two of them. Either very brave or very foolhardy, Duckworth raced across the dewy grass of the park to the monster, his breath falling out in labored puffs as he frantically tried to chase down the eluding monster. The creature's reaction was to turn and run away. Its powerful muscles rippled beneath its coat as it sprinted away and within moments there was nothing more than a blur speeding through the trees. The beast soon disappeared into the deep shadows of the forest, leaving no trace of its presence and Duckworth trying to regain his breath. The two dog catchers knew that it was still lurking in the shadows. However, they didn't linger in the park for too long. Instead, the two quickly gathered up the ladder that they had brought with them and set it up to rescue the cats in the tree. Sure enough, after some gentle persuading, both cats came down cooperatively. At least enough for Duckworth to carefully scoop them up into his arm and carry them back down to ground level where he put both felines on the ground. The frightened felines immediately took off, one into the forest and the other into a sewer line. And according to the animal control officers, they were terrified. My question is, did these two put these cats in a tree on purpose to study ways of taking them out of the trees? Or were they already in the tree and they came there and were just trying to figure out the best way of getting them out? <laughs> um, yeah. It's kind of confusing as to what was really going on. Duckworth informed the newspaper about his plan that if he ever re-encountered the monster, he had a tranquilizer gun loaded with enough sedative to knock out a medium-sized dog and he would not hesitate to use it on the creature. The idea of a tranquilizer gun would undoubtedly be helpful when dealing with enormous beasts. This only would control a medium-sized dog and not a seven-foot monster. However, Duckworth described the assailant as a tall man wearing a green mask and clothed in green blankets not a monster at all. This was no creature, but rather a man wearing a costume to scare people in the park. 
And unbelievable as it may seem, the first thing that crossed the city worker's mind was to shoot the human hoaxer with a tranquilizer. That's a good idea. That's a bad idea. Why? Okay. I was in the military, and part of my job was learning how to use tranquilizer guns. I got to use blow darts. I got to use, you know, actual trank guns. The size of that needle is bigger than any needle you have ever seen. It's about the size of an ink pen because it has to hit fast and it has to hit hard and dump all of the tranquilizers in at once. During our training, the target that we were using was against a plywood board. We shot it. This two-inch needle went into the board all two inches deep. Ow. Yeah, this thing, if it hit a human, would go into bone. So this guy, this Duckworth, going around saying he was going to shoot a man with a tranquilizer, first of all, wouldn't have put him to sleep, and second of all, probably would have caused him irreparable harm, possibly paralysis. So it's really weird that he would go and boast about this ridiculous plan to reporters, basically confessing to a crime before he did it. Well, maybe he didn't realize that. I mean, I didn't know. I said, hey, do it. Then this guy is a horrible choice for an animal control officer. Oh, he's animal. Okay. Yeah. Remember he's, I said this is the yeah. dog catcher. Okay. I thought he was. The, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> well, the city officials decided to join him, and they stood by the notion that this was all just a joke. On the other side, not everyone in the town felt the same amount of relief regarding the mill race monster being a prank. Tyra among other eyewitnesses, was infuriated. This was no prank to them. The creature they saw was real. There was no one in a costume. It moved around and even made expressions with its face, growling menacingly. Its face had an angry expression as it lurked around menacingly, attempting to chew through a window. Chapter 4 Men with guns. Men with guns. As news of the dreaded mill race monster spread through central Indiana, droves of brave yet untrained hunters soon began to flock to the area. Curiosity seekers and thrill seekers alike were eager to glimpse the terrifying monster. The local park was teeming with people. It was said that on a single night, there could be more than a hundred cars parked nearby. Armed with their flashlights and homemade weapons, these individuals attempted to hunt the monster down. Paranormal investigator and Columbus native Chris McDaniel was left alarmed by the events that he witnessed during that week. He recounted the unsettling scene of the gathered crown, saying, People had abruptly appeared from the trees with an array of weapons. Baseball bats, knives, and shotguns all clenched in anger and glinting ominously beneath the light of the full moon. It was clear that something dangerous was going to happen in the woods at such a late hour. And it was becoming an increasingly perplexing situation. Reports of the mythical green-scaled creatures spread like wildfire, and with the local newspaper being the largest source of speculations and rumors. Fear and fervor overwhelmed what was once a tranquil park, 
And with the population debating whether it existed or not, the police descended to keep order. People were flocking to the area, desperate for their chance to come face to face with the mysterious Bigfoot-like monster, and the population wanted them to go away. Robert Gilligan, the director of the city park, did not take chances and ordered the immediate closure of the park at night. It was not just about the monster anymore, it was also about protecting the public from their own primal fears. It was just too easy to imagine someone being frightened and shooting another person because they thought it was the monster. In light of the tremendous public and media attention stirred up by the monster roaming the city, the Columbus Police Department begrudgingly designated Kenneth St. John as their unofficial monster control officer. That is a job I want on my resume. And St. John must have been successful in his role, as eventually the townspeople of Columbus stopped talking about the monster and returned to their everyday routines. That might not be a good idea. In what way? Because he might come back. Well, if he does, I'm sure the monster control officer of today can handle it. I don't know. <laughs> so what do you think? I think that's pretty cool. I don't know about... A green monster, though. My theory behind the greenness is that if he did spend any time in the river in the lakes, he may have been picking up moss or algae. lake seaweed algae yeah. type thing. And then that's what people are seeing. Not right. green skin, but seeing green debris on him. That's a smart take. Well, it's just a theory. But uh, for me, that seems quite feasible. Despite desperate attempts by the locals to discover the creature's purpose, they were met with disappointing results and the mystery remained unsolved. When Tyra thinks back to that evening, an icy chill creeps up her spine. That memory is forever emblazoned in her mind, the vivid image of the mysterious form on the horizon, its destination unknown. Even now, she has yet to find answers for what she saw, who or what it was, and where had it come from, let alone where it vanished to. The residents of Columbus, Indiana will never forget that fateful week when they encountered a being unlike anything they had ever seen before. Was it a Bigfoot entity, which are somewhat common in Indiana? Or... Was it a leftover from outer space, as UFOs are also commonly seen in the skies over Indiana? Regardless of the theories, one thing is sure. The people of Columbus will forever be changed by this encounter with the unknown terror that is the Mill Race Monster. Now, before we go, I want to remind everyone that we are on social media and would love to hear your stories and opinions about the Mill Race Monster. You can reach us on our Facebook page within the Miss Podcast, and we are also on Instagram and have an email at within the Miss Podcast at gmail.com for any of you who would like to share your stories. We hope you enjoyed the Mill Race Monster and we'll come again for another episode. Until then, explore the dark, shadowy places of the woodlands and remain constantly curious. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, guys. See you next time.